Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. I'm excited to have Satesh Saru, who's the CEO of Rocketim, uh, which is an agile creative ops platform that helps enterprises take the communications to market faster and at low cost. Rocketim is funded by market investors like um, O21 Capital, Bloom Ventures and Emergent Ventures. Uh, Satya is an alum of Cornell and ISB. A uh, big thanks to Anupam Rastogi from Emergent Ventures for the introduction. Uh, welcome to the show, Satya. Thanks for having me, Rohit. I'm excited to have this chat. Awesome. So you know, uh, you 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 uh, you know one of uh, one of uh, one of the few Indian companies which is uh, you know more the made the foray into into US. But how did you get your start into into startups? Yeah. So uh, it's funny that uh, I should be so focused on startups in uh, whatever I think the last uh, several years of uh, my career um, because nobody I know in my near family. no friends nobody in my network uh, had even worked at a startup and uh, of course when i was graduating back in 2004 that wasn't even a term that was uh, around but somewhere i always had uh, this idea in my mind that i wanted to be a part of uh, a new venture uh, originally my thought was that i want to invest in ventures but over uh, the years it felt like being a part of uh, those ventures uh, maybe someday starting it up uh, that would be what uh, i wanted to do um of course the uh, first few years of my career uh, was in you know multi trillion dollar companies like microsoft and uh, amazon but startup was something that i always wanted to do so when i went to do my masters the the lens with which i looked at it i want to pick up skills that i can use to start my company and uh, mistakenly uh, i assumed that you need academics in order to gain skills to work uh, mm-hmm. um, and so every every step that i took was somewhere leading up to eventually joining a startup and then someday starting up but uh, yeah i think uh, the exit of uh, the previous company where i was working uh, to its competition gave me the chance to eventually start hmm super interesting and uh, you know you you did your masters and then you came back to india you did your mba from isb uh, but you work with taxi for sure and i remember you know there was uh, i mean in those days taxi for sure when got an exit ola was it was a big exit but what was the experience working there uh, in 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 a high growth startup like taxi for sure yeah so taxi for sure was uh, the only time i worked in a b2c company where uh, end users are uh, our customers yeah. and uh, it was a uh, less than 2 years of uh, experience when we went from a seed stage company to beyond series c and eventually getting acquired in one of the largest uh, exits in the the uh, ecosystem and um a lot of things had to be retooled but the good thing was that uh, so one was uh, in one of the meetings this metaphor had uh, come up that in many startups the journey from the, the journey sort of like from earth to moon and a rocket takes off and as you are approaching moon and at different stages of the rocket's journey different parts of the rocket uh, are uh, falling away so somebody had made that uh, as a as an analogy to saying that people who get started in that startup may not be the right ones at different stages of the company i was very happy that uh, a large part of the core team was actually there from the early days to the very end uh, that is both the testament to the quality of people that the founders had hired the kind of culture that they had built where everybody was learning and growing um, so really we all had uh, that experience where 
we were there from the early days doing a lot of grunt work obviously not as much as uh, the founders but a lot of uh, for there was a time when to learn about uh, the the driver's day to day experience i drove a cab uh, mm. and got got to experience what they experienced a very small part of it but nonetheless uh, something i wanted uh, to try uh, calling up customers speaking with them uh, doing customer support a lot of those kinds of things we were able to do um, as the company grew obviously layers of uh, team come in a uh, lot of winter uh, team coordination has to happen so many cities of expansion so a fabulous experience uh, getting to see how a consumer organization is built a high growth organization is built where um, there's a lot of money a lot of uh, very little time but uh, uh, massive goals to accomplish so uh, exciting experience interesting reminded me of my experience at at your rooms but uh, but you know after your experience at taxis for show you 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 started rocketim uh, so you know what made you start rocketim and what was the concept all about so one is uh, when i was at taxi for sure i wasn't really thinking about what other company to join what offers are there what is the market like so i was never really in the job market so never had this concept that i need to go to some other company here is a uh, you know lineup of potential companies i could go to when the company gets sold or any of that right i thought of uh, taxi for sure like many of my colleagues as uh, my own company and we worked uh, that way so when the company exited uh, there was suddenly that question mark of what do we do next because uh, we did not really have uh, five other companies uh, dream companies that uh, we already had lined up uh, but you know, for me rocketium as an idea was in my head since 2005 um, very different from what we do right now but the core concept of it of helping people consume content consume information learn something using visual medium uh, that was as an idea that was uh, in my head since 2005 So in 2015, when the exit happened, already for a decade, I had been thinking about the core idea in different forms. So I said, uh, I also had a chunk of change from the exit, uh, which the founders uh, had, you know, made sure that some of us uh, really participated in that wealth creation. So that really helped me take that decision. That is how Rocket Team started. Of course, uh, today what we do is uh, so very different from the first idea. But got it, got it, and um, and uh, and you know. Uh, Uh, who do you think who do you say is your ideal customer profile uh, since you you know you b2b saas are you focusing on um, smes or large enterprises uh, just wanted to understand you know since you started how how it has changed over the years yeah and maybe i'll just take this moment also to acknowledge uh, the role of pivots uh, in startups because when we started it was a gaming company the right. the product had no pricing it was meant to be uh, you know bottoms up thousands of people should sign up use it to create content share it with each other so that they can learn something and become better in some way and uh, from there we have tried pretty much every price point from 0 dollars a month to 1 dollar a month to 10 dollars mm-hmm. to so uh, every one of those logarithmic uh, steps we have gone through so today we are a uh, an enterprise focused company and this transition has also happened because of customer need a pull from certain kinds of customers who have certain kinds of problems to solve very large complex organizations where marketing design various business teams are involved and their operations require a dedicated software right and uh, so today those are the kind of companies we work with um it is uh, enterprises means uh, for us it is 1000 or more employees but typical customers have over uh, 10000 uh, employees and uh, retail segment is where we see the most uh, connect for our customers but 
we have customers uh, in very diverse segments like um, B2B, IT services, banking, energy, all of uh, other media as well, because eventually this is about how do you communicate with your customers, whoever they might be, whether a business or an end consumer. The, the core concept that was uh, the start of Rocketium, which was people have low attention span. How do you grab their attention? That is just as true when an enterprise has to communicate with their customers. And so how do you get that messaging out quickly? How do you do it in a way that captivates their attention? How is it relevant to them? How do you use data to make sure you are making the right decisions? So the core of it remains the same that we still have, no matter uh, how much resource uh, we have, how many people we have in our team, the one thing that you cannot get is time. And so, uh, you know, because people's time is limited, how do you communicate better to them? So that uh, the core of the problem has stayed the same, but uh, certainly several pivots have happened along the way. Mm. Got it. Interesting. And, um, uh, and you know, I've, I've worked at, at OU Rooms and other, you know, uh, uh, B2B startups. Um, and, and, you know, what I've realized is, uh, there are times when your team members have the domain experience. A lot of I work with a lot of consultants as well. But uh, should you hire people who do not have domain experience, or do you think you should hire people who have you know that sort of SaaS experience uh, and and they do really well? Yeah. So um, when we were at Taxi for sure, the founders always had this mindset that we we do not want a legacy mindset. We do not want baggage. We want people to come in and think differently. Uh, but in the, the B2B world, I found that some of those decisions can be quite risky. We have tried to hire in the past where let us just look for smart and hardworking people, right? But um, so one of the uh, prominent VCs uh, had this model that uh, they had shared a mental model for risk, saying that in a startup, risk is like an onion. There are different layers of risk and you want to de-layer, de-risk one layer at a time. And so... Right already there is there is so much risk in the startup working not working and now you are adding as a as a new team member i do not know about the the industry i do not obviously i do not know about the product itself and specific customers of the company on top of that i do not know the domain i might not have worked in this department before i might not have sold at this price point so more and more of those things that are different mean means that i have to operate differently and i have to learn something new because it might feel like, you know, if I've done sales, I've done sales. Or if I've done marketing, I've done marketing. That is not the same because mm. how do you communicate with a company of 100,000 people is very different from com communicating with 100,000 companies of size 10, right? right. And so uh, it, that is the, you do not want to create a clone army where everybody looks, feels, talks the same way. Uh, so you do want some bit of diversity, but where that diversity comes is very important. So at least in our experience, we try to hire people from the domain, people who have done similar things uh, before, but then um, in interesting ways, uh, we try to bring in uh, diverse perspectives. Okay. Okay. So, so it means that they can have SaaS experience, uh, even though they have sold different sort of products, but they could have a SaaS experience. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Got it. And you, you know what? Do you, what do you ideally look for? Look for candidates. You know, I've I've had uh, revenue experience, especially sales and business development. Uh, can can I talk about you know what do you look for candidates uh, per se sales or you know their product experience? Yeah. So um, very tactically, I'll explain 
in our interviews where I come in. So specifically for me in my round, what I look for, I will say, and then more generally as a company, what we look for. But in my round, I'm predominantly listening to what they are saying. Predominantly, I am answering their questions rather than questioning them, judging. In general, we try to keep this, the interview process uh, in that way because it's a two-way interview. You want to make sure they have all the information. We have all the information because we want to be successful jointly. Um, either party does not really benefit from making claims that are uh, not true because sooner or later uh, those surface, right? So um, at least uh, when I have the conversation, I look for broadly uh, these four things. I look for um, how interested they are in us uh, and that is demonstrated in different ways. What is their level of ambition? What are they really trying to achieve? Uh, uh, and this step of rocket team in their career, what does that really mean? Uh, also look for culture fit in variety of uh, ways. Uh, and like I said, you do not want to create clones of the rest of the team, but you want to look for a similar sort of mindset and some core principles have to be the same. Uh, and finally, I look for depth in how they are talking. Um, so somebody who's sort of very superficially making comments or just kind of doing banter versus somebody who's a little more deep in how they are thinking. And uh, do I enjoy having conversations with these people? Am I learning from them? So those are broadly what uh, things we look. I personally look for in my round. But um, more broadly, in in every round, uh, there are technical aspects. So one of the things uh, are culture principles. We call them prime directives, uh, which is a reference to Star Trek uh, Next Generation. But um, so the first of our prime directives is being exceptional at your craft. So we think of the work that somebody does as as their craft, and if they see it that way, then they have to demonstrate that because. There is not going to be a backup for each person in the team saying, right. hey, if you screw up, if you do not deliver, that is okay. There is an army of other people who will make up for it. So most people are a single owner of whatever it is that they are doing. And so if they're not good at their work, then they should not be here. That is not the sort of person the rest of the team wants to work with. right? So that is something that we look for. And then there are other uh, uh, sort of not technical, but more sort of interpersonal and just sort of how they operate, their meticulousness, and various other things we look for. But um, as much as possible, we try to make the interview less of judging somebody's knowledge, judging somebody's on-the-fly knee-jerk responses to something, and instead make it more about how do they work on a regular basis. So we give people time to, uh, for example, for the sales uh, interview, we give people half an hour to 45 minutes to capture all of the points that they might have discussed with somebody put it into a document that they could then share with the rest the rest of the team in the process. For a product manager interview, it is something similar to say, let me come up with the features having spoken with somebody about their needs. Let me come up with a feature. So we try to do more of that rather than put people in some sort of a difficult situation and see how, because that's not how they would work on a daily basis, right? So we try and simulate as much of reality as possible. Well, interesting, and and you mentioned something very interesting about uh, about depth uh, is what you look for. So, you know, what what questions would you ask uh, a candidate uh, if if you're looking for you know, especially in a in a, in a very short interview, like you you spend not more than two or three hours with that person, uh, what question would you ask them to know the depth and their understanding of the product? Yeah, at least for me, the the way I would uh, the way I conduct these interviews is I ask them to ask me questions. So because yes. I'm typically the last person that they speak with, I'm also not coming in as the technical expert in that uh, domain. 
but somebody who's a sort of any questions that remained unanswered or after the entire process is over if they got more ideas i'm the person to answer those so what sort of questions do they ask after i have said something are they able to respond in a meaningful way or um, did that information become too much for them to process and then they stop that and move on to the next question right or are they able to have a more so it is the, the softer sort of things uh, i do not have very specific questions to gauge depth it is more about this is a new situation for you you have not learned about our product our business our customers our team until today but right. are you quickly able to assimilate that are you able to say something interesting at the end of it uh, that is really how i would uh, i would evaluate depth got it and uh, and you know since, since you've been uh, in in the business for quite some time what what's been your biggest uh, hiring mistake yeah so i would say the, the category of mistake uh, that uh, that is the biggest one i would say uh, which is a hard one to follow all the time is not relying on gut instinct so mm. uh, somewhere you feel hey i do not want to be biased let me just make a, a pros and cons or you know here are like six buckets in which we evaluate let's give a yes or no but somewhere even after those things are met your gut tells you this is not the right decision what do you chalk that up to what what line item would you put there without making it look biased or without making it look like hey, you're just willy-nilly taking a decision right especially as founders if your vote carries more weight it should not but if it does and people are influenced by that then you are somewhere uh, very careful of giving these kinds of gut decisions right but the way at least i have started thinking about it in the last few years is that your gut is also a very finely tuned machine learning model you have constantly data coming in you are making decisions and very quickly you know if your decisions have been right or not right rocketium uh, itself i have hired more than 100 people in past companies i've hired uh, 100 plus people so which means interviews i would have done 1000 or more right yeah. uh, and so after all of those just in hiring alone i know how many times i've been right and not right in which cases and mm -hmm. so this is a finely tuned machine learning model whenever i've gone against my gut i have found that things have not worked out uh, and typically it fails in one of those four areas that i said that either it's not a culture fit or they are really not ambitious they are just doing something they are not pushing uh, uh, themselves to do more things uh, so in that's why these four areas i typically look for um, or uh, the big one that uh, where smart people talented people hard working people fail is not having interest in the space where we operate mm. they have some notions uh, somewhere they cannot relate to the work that is being done despite all of their gifts and hard work things just do not uh, lead to results right and so Uh, i would say the the biggest uh, the broad area would be around trusting my gut mm, got it interesting and um, uh, you you know as i alluded earlier i've been in, into into tech sales but when is the right time to move from founder led sales to you know building your own sales team yeah so um, so what typically happens is if founders are not able to sell they feel that let us get somebody from the yeah. outside have them sell it uh, that could work but somewhere think about it from the other side they are coming into a new like uh, i said the the layers of the onion we don't know about the product we don't know about the business so many things are unknown by the way has the founder who knows the most about the product business customer technology everything even they are not able to sell yeah. or b do you have a lot of people showing interest maybe the founder is doing a bad job of selling maybe i could do a better job but are there enough people expressing interest or oh, that is also not there 
So somewhere with those things happening, uh, a very ambitious, uh, somebody who wants to be successful, that sort of a person will not really want to join. So you should be very, if you have not seen success, if you do not have a lot of inbound interest coming from companies uh, about your the space where you operate, then you should be careful about the kind of people who sign on for that sort of work, right? Because you have to be a masochist uh, uh, or somebody who really loves risk and danger if you are joining a company at that stage. So the right time would be when one or both of those uh, problems have been solved, where you can now tell a person that, look, if I can do it, you can do it better than me. But just know that I can do it. I have done this much before. By the way, already so many people are showing interest. Look at when we go to events, what happens? Look at the kind of people visiting our website. Look at the and so on. So I would say those two criteria would be the important ones to solve before moving from founder sales to a building a sales team. And, and, and just to follow up on that, do you think... Uh the startup should be at like a particular ARR or a revenue, uh, like for example, $3 million or something like that for for a mature VP sales or a CRO to come in and take it to the next level? Or, or do you think it should be, you know, you know, just a couple of thousands of tens of thousands of dollars in MRR uh, and you should have somebody in, in demand gen or somebody in somebody as a VP sales coming in then? Yeah, I would say uh, a true VP sales is really needed when you have two, three levels of uh, hierarchy because uh, think about the kind of work that they've been doing in the previous company. It is about hiring a team, uh, getting a large number of people on board, making sure they are trained, making sure the operations that they are running, they are tight, uh, are the calls happening correctly. So if that is the sort of work that they are doing, having them transition away from that into Oh, come into meetings with me, try and close the sales for me. They could do that for some time, but very quickly they need to transition into doing what they are really good at, right? Uh, the, the, the inverse of that is what we tend to do typically when we promote people. Somebody is really good at an individual contributor's work. Mm. We say, let us make you a manager. But those are two very different things. Mm. Because you're good as an individual contributor and make you a manager, you might not be successful at that. So somebody who's doing a manager's job and in fact, a manager of managers, asking them to go down two levels, they could do that. They might have done that a few years ago. They could help with that. But is that the best use of their time? Do you have enough proof points, enough capital, enough time to give to that person and say, go build a 20 person team and uh, run that the way you used to run in your previous organization. So I feel for a more senior person, you should wait a little bit longer. Um, in the early days, you should play that role of VP sales. You will do much worse than a, a true seasoned VP sales, but you should do some bit of that, right? Uh, once you have a couple of account executives, a little bit of demand gen happening, then maybe get a director of sales to manage uh, the, the account executives, build out that team. So they are then doing the managing and training and all of those aspects, and then maybe get a VP sales. There will be people who say that, I've done enough of this in large companies. Let me join this high-speed company. I see so much potential. I can take it to the next level. But that typically happens when there's a lot of strong inbound pool coming from that uh, uh, that sector. Um, maybe the person has operated in that space before and they know the, the kind of customers who would buy it. Uh, but that's almost a founder sort of person who's coming and saying that, hey, you know, why don't you focus on product? Why don't you focus on marketing? And let me take care of the sales. So mm. unless that happens, I think you should not be hiring a person like that. Got it. Yeah, no, absolutely makes sense. And uh, uh, and you know, before the call, we we uh, 
we discussed about you moving to US and, and it is, uh, there have been a lot of Indian companies which have you know, you know uh, started uh, operating in US where the founders have also moved to US but how can companies build teams in their you know respective markets um, and you know if they want to especially for for Asian uh, I mean sorry Indian companies who have captured the Asian market and how can they start acquiring customers in the US do you think of a founding team member or a founder needs to move to uh, to to US because it's such a big market? Yeah, so uh, if you just look at the market size uh, perspective, the US market is at least 10 times larger, uh, whether yeah. it is in the uh, number of companies, uh, potentially what each of those companies can pay and so on. Um, it is a market you cannot ignore if you want to grow beyond a certain size. And if the market is so large and it is one of your top priorities, then you need to allocate that sort of uh, importance to it, right? So the answer might not always be founders because let's say founders have their own comfort zone over the years. Maybe they have done sales. They've not been able to uh, scale beyond a point. And now there are trusted people in the team who could do it, do it a lot better. Maybe it is them who move uh, to, to this new market. But whichever market it is, you need to have experts who are a combination of people who understand that local market and people who understand your customers, your product, your roadmap and vision. Uh, so I would say a combination of those two would be the best one because uh, you know you cannot uh, expect people, let's say, to go to China and be successful having never lived or worked in China, right? And uh, why would you expect the same thing to happen in the US, right? Uh, there is no reason why somebody who has never lived, worked, inter interacted uh, deeply with uh, American customers to come in and become successful quickly, right? So somewhere you do need local expertise uh, uh, life uh, in the US is not very different from life uh, uh, in many cities of uh, India, but still it is a different enough market that you need to have local expertise. Mm, got it, got it. And, um, and what, what what do you think has changed in, in, in the last couple of years where, you know, companies are buying uh, software, especially with the, with, the, with the downturn and the recession that has happened? Yeah, so um, one thing that has not changed is what is the expectation from software? The, the expectation from any software is to be an accelerator for human productivity. So help me do the same work better, help me do it in less time, help me uh, do it at a lower cost or just do it for me, which is just the ultimate uh, uh, extension to that uh, sort of incremental improvement that is happening. So that has definitely not changed. What has changed is over the years, companies have bought so much software that it is just sitting on shelves uh, as uh, it is called shelfware. Mm -hmm. People are very wary of that. They have now 50, 60, 100 different software tackling each, you know, minor parts of uh, their workflows. And whether it is CFO, CIO, kind of more central folks who are looking at it or individual teams, they are just tired of people pitching, 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 but nobody in their team actually using software. So one thing they are wary about is, is this actually going to be adopted? How much are you expecting me to change my process, change the way I work? because that is something that they are very wary of. So the more you can show as a company that the way you are already working more or less remains the same. Either it is because you integrate into all of those software and work transparently, or your software looks, feels, uh, operates much like the software that they use. Or for example, the most extreme version is you have execution support where nobody in their team has to use the software and then somebody else through a marketplace, through agency, through your own team, you are helping operate. So that is a big one saying, can you ensure adoption? Can you ensure we are actually getting value? Uh, 
Um, and then the other one, uh, because of uh, cost pressure and uh, all of those things, people are looking for uh, how do they lower cost. So somewhere if you're able to bring that in um, as a message saying that, how do we save your cost? How do we help you go live quickly? That definitely helps in this time. Mm. Got it. And, uh, and what do, you know, sales guys and companies need to do to, you know, get their deals over the line uh, these days? Yeah, so you have to work a little harder. There is a standard process that you might be following saying uh, sales has to be done a certain way or we just, you know, during COVID, we sold everything online. Now I don't want to travel or we don't do trials. We don't, uh, our pricing terms are a certain way. So definitely having more empathy for the buyer, understanding that they are not doing it because of their standard process, but they have real challenges on their side. So how do you become more flexible, accommodate their needs? That is uh, certainly going to be very important. Um, also, um, as much as possible, focus on real value, not on, uh, you know, Lawrence, uh, you know, saying we have this customer, that customer, really showing value, making sure uh, very clearly you're able to show X dollars invested in adopting my software means Y dollars for you in Z months, right? So that needs to be very clear and uh, focus on delivering that because, uh, people can and do cancel software today. It is not an annuity business where you keep getting paid no matter what. So uh, being a little more flexible, really showing the value that is being added and actually adding. Correct. And and you mentioned uh, about uh, about interactions, which which is not only on Zoom, but but do you think in in the last couple of years, especially in the last year or so, face to face interactions has increased for Rocketim? Oh. It is uh, definitely increased, and uh, that is one of the reasons why even to the US, because awesome. until we had large enough customers, until we had complex enough operations that we had to streamline, there was really no need for us to meet in person. Uh, smaller companies are more comfortable in doing calls, um, but with larger companies, multiple teams being involved, it uh, certainly makes sense to do, let's say, workshops or in-person sessions. Uh, or just even more informally meet people, right? They need to see, especially large companies need to get uh, that feeling that this company is not going to go anywhere. Oh, my kids go to the same school as uh, as their founders. So some of these smaller things might not uh, might not feel right that they influence uh, the decision, but ultimately their neck is on the line. Believe it or not, uh, I've heard cases where uh, people in the customers we are selling to have been fired because the software that they adopted two, three years ago never really reached uh, the success criteria that they had uh, promised, right? So because the software did not perform, this person uh, or these several people, they have uh, had the acts, right? So um, that's why they have to be very careful about uh, the decisions. And, uh, and as you mentioned, you know, you, you look at enterprise clients, but uh, how, how do, uh, you know, startups need to change the way uh, that they message to enterprises to in order to sell, uh, or, or do you find that the same sort of message is, is relevant for for different ICPs? Yeah, I think uh, with enterprises, uh, we have to realize that there are multiple people involved in the process. There are potentially multiple types of users going to, who are going to be there. There are different kinds of buyers, so it is about helping the the, the users make the the right kind of a case to their superiors uh, for the. Uh, the people who hold the budget, the people who are your champions, for them to be equipped with all the information that they need to convince themselves or their peers about it. So startups have to work on that. It cannot be a single message and a cool line. You can't just sprinkle whatever the flavor of the month is uh, to your product. You know, just add 
blockchain here, AI there, and an enterprise is going to buy because they want your software to help them succeed. It is not just a, a line item and they have to buy something and there is no innovation budget because of which they are buying. They actually want to use your software. So you have to help them make that case. You have to help various people in their team understand the value of it. Mm. Got it. And um, uh, stay quickly on to the top three. What's your favorite business book? So this is a book called It's Your Ship. It's by a naval officer who talks about the leadership principles that he follows in his ships. Um, and the ship used to be one of the uh, one of the worst ships in the, the fleet. And it became the top performer across several uh, categories. A lot of lessons from uh, there for founders of software companies or just, uh, startups in general. But uh, I really love that book. Got it. We'll put that in the show notes. And um, and if you know, if you could go back in time when you when you started with Rockteam, what is what is the one thing you would have focused on or done thing differently? Yeah. So though I glorified pivots and uh, they have the right way to make the business, uh, uh, that is one thing I, I hope I would have done less of. Uh, there are enough pivots that will happen later. But really picked one customer, uh, uh, company size, uh, an industry, the kind of buyer within. That and focused on their problems that would have saved us a, a lot of time because uh, really where we have right now need not have taken several years uh, we should have been able to do that in a couple of years got it and and, and, and lastly you know what's your favorite online tool for example gmail slack zoom yeah my favorite tool is confluence by atlassian it is a wiki product uh, i like writing a lot i like creating a repository of all ideas and things that have happened i, I document a lot so um, as a company, also we write a lot, uh, so it's it's my favorite tool. Oh, got it, got it. Uh, we'll we'll put that in show notes. And Sadesh, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Rocketium? Yeah, I'm uh, fairly accessible on uh, LinkedIn. That would be the best way to write to me. Sure, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, Sadesh, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Of course, Rohit. Uh, thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.